I had the privilege of talking with Jeff Arthur, um, who is a coach, an executive coach, and I learned um, more about what coaching is and what it can contribute. And then we also talked about Jeff's uh, personal life, uh, growing up, and things that are important to him. And it was a you know, very interesting conversation for me. I hope that you enjoy it. Welcome to Conversations About Life. Well, Jeff, thank you for uh, meeting with me, and I'm looking forward to getting to know you better. And, uh, well, getting to know you, we just met a few minutes ago. (laughs) Um, Jeff is an executive coach and founder of The Values Conversation. Um, Jeff, how would you explain what The Values Conversation is? Um, The Values Conversation, as a company overall... We are about uh, facilitating values-based growth and development on a personal level and on a um, uh, corporate level. So we do personal coaching. We do corporate coaching. We family coaching, marriage coaching, that kind of stuff. Uh, We're not counselors. Um, We don't give advice. We don't do anything like that, but we do coach people. Uh, walk them through stuff, give suggestions, um, et cetera, et cetera. Company itself, the reason it's called the Values Conversation is because we've developed a um, a core values assessment that helps people identify um, what they value most in life, who they are from those values, and then beyond that, what they're doing with their life overall. And the reason that we do that is because... Uh, once I know what I value the most and everybody has those values and everybody quote unquote knows the values, but we don't think about them. In other words, if I were to ask you, so Will, what do you value the most? Uh, you would probably identify integrity or trustworthiness or uh, hard work or, you know, honesty, some, something along those lines, but it's not something that you wake up thinking about. I value these things. It's just inherent in us. But once I go through an exercise where I recognize, wait a minute, this this really is what I value most, we begin to realize that that factors into every decision we make through the day, whether it's like we were talking about before, raising our children or interacting with our coworkers or our significant other or whatever it is, the values factor into everything, but we don't think about it. So... If I go through an exercise that begins to pull that to the forefront of my mind, uh, oh my gosh, yeah, this is what I stand on the most, um, then that creates a foundation upon which we're able to build and grow, but also at the same time identifies a target out in front of us, uh, meaning that everybody wants to grow, everybody wants to be better, everybody wants to be better problem solvers. But we don't really understand what, what does that look like. In other words, we don't step back and say, oh, my gosh, in my life, for me to be better, that looks like this. Well, if I identify what I value and identify who I am from those values, then that helps center a target in front of me saying this is what I want to be better at. This is what I want to be doing more of. This is where I want to be excelling in my life. So foundation, 
also creates a target and it helps identify what it, what better looks like for me or it looks like or what more looks like for me or uh, what deeper looks like for me and it becomes more fun because now I understand what that looks like now I understand what I want to be doing now I understand what I want to be accomplishing um, and it's you know we do that with uh, we've done that with teenagers we do that with of course with a lot of uh, individuals I now do it a lot in companies and corporations in corporate America and um, uh, it, it factors into everything so how I do business what I value is going to factor in how I do business because if I value just making a buck I'm going to go about business a lot differently than somebody who values integrity in 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 the business world because I may make different decisions based on that. So it all factors in one way or the other. You know, when um, thinking about values, um, like uh, how specific is it helpful to be when you're trying to assess your values or you're helping someone else? For example, um, a lot of people, their value might be, well, to be a good person. That would be really broad. And a more specific would be, well, I value being the one who initiates a handshake when I see someone. And then that's like really, really narrow. Is there a certain place um, where you're trying to get to that's the most useful when you're trying to narrow down just what your values are? Sure. Um, and, the, and the answer to that is yes. Um, we, I mean, you can always take something to the nth degree where it's, uh, like you say, an example of, you know, do I value initiating the, the greeting first? Um, what we want to try to do is, is take generalized phrases or thoughts or, um, or, or words and break them down a couple of layers. Uh, I think an article that I think you referenced reading uh, when I was talking to the reporter, she's, uh, we were talking about values and and I use the example of a strong family. A lot of times people will value, you know, I, I, want, a, I want a strong family. And, and we want to break that down more. Does that mean loyalty? Does that mean uh, unconditional love? Does that mean I value understanding? Does that mean I value a sense of togetherness? Uh, does that mean I value tradition? You know, all of those things, when I start talking about strong family... All that, that phrase can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And those values are formed throughout our life by uh, life circumstances. In other words, if I'm a child and I grew up in a household that divorce is prevalent, uh, I may value strong family and I may value loyalty more than anything else because that, that was something that I felt like I did not see. Therefore, it's got to be a part of what I'm going to be a part of in the future versus somebody who did not grow up with that. Uh, maybe a parent died, so they're going to value consistency or they're going to value availability in a strong family much differently than somebody else will versus someone who grew up in a household um, where maybe one of the parents struggled with addiction of some kind. So, so they're going to value, could be anything, unconditional love, uh, non-judgmentalness. Uh, they're going to value whatever... Because these circumstances that I dealt with have now shaped what I see and how I feel and what I think and what I value most in a certain circumstance, um, that's all going to factor in. So something like a, a strong family, that's too broad. But when you get down to something like integrity or honesty or unconditional love, that's more a, 
a yeah. workable type of value. Absolutely. Okay. And even unconditional love is a very broad term. But a lot of times we will, we will go with that because as we continue to work with people, it's not uncommon for them on their own to start to work through something like that, identifying, saying, you know what, I, I identified unconditional love. But the more I, more I think about that and the more I understand about what I, what I value most, uh, that really means a level of acceptance. I, I, I want to be in a situation with my family where I'm not going to be judged if I make a mistake or I want to value forgiveness because I, I, want, I want to recognize, I want people to recognize I'm doing the best I can or whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. So it can break down. But uh, a little bit, but we, we want to be careful not to go so far that we're self-diagnosing and self-reflecting and self-whatever to a point that we get caught with paralysis by analysis and never actually doing something with what mm-hmm. I'm valuing in my life. Right. So this podcast, you know, it kind of gets down to like a more personal level, speaking to people about their lives. So do you mind me asking you, like, what your own values are? Sure. So over the years, I have learned that I value uh, honor uh, and adventure, courage and wisdom, growth, balance and acceptance. Uh, and for me, the word that is the trigger for everything is honor. Uh, in other words, I remember, um, I don't remember which book it was that Maxwell wrote, but he was talking about listening to a, a gentleman who he had saw at a conference that impacted him where it was about being able to get your life down to what is the thing that is most important to you in your life? Uh, what's that one word, whether yeah. that's hard work, you know, I, 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 you know, use two words for that, but one, one mm-hmm. concept, hard work or integrity or understanding or whatever that is. And uh, Maxwell at that time in his journey, that was very, um, that was very impactful. So I, I think about that when I think about it, because the, the number one thing I value is honor. In other words, if I'm acting in a way that is dishonorable or is coming across as dishonorable, then I am not in, I am not in alignment with who I am or what I stand on the most. So I identify that, that I, I want to be acting out, living a life of, showing a life of honor more than anything else. So, um, and I say that where it makes sense. Yeah, that makes okay, sense. Okay. Cause yeah. you had a look on your face. I wasn't sure if you were phrasing the next question or if you were not sure what I would just said. So I want to make sure I understood that right. No, I'm just kind of thinking about what you mean by honor. Um, so, um, you said acting in a way that's honorably, um, sure. So taking on what you just said there, if I can help you with your question, there's a lot of words that overlap that are very synonymous. In other words, trustworthiness, honesty, integrity, Mm -hmm. honor. Those are all words that I think most of us would identify as synonymous. You know, those are synonyms Mm -hmm. of kind of the same concept. But because of environmental factors, because of uh, 50 different different things that affect us in our life growing up, either people or circumstances or, again, environment, whatever that is, a word is going to really connect with us more than others. Um, and an uh, example of that, years ago, um, 
I was doing a core values assessment with a gentleman in the morning, and and he was he had identified honesty as one of the top four values he valued the most. As we were talking about it, he said, "Honesty is the most important thing. You can't be trustworthy. You can't have integrity. You can't do whatever if you're not honest first. Great. That was his reasoning. That's fantastic. Same day in the afternoon, I'm working with another gentleman going through the exact same assessment." And he had identified trustworthiness. And he literally said to me, well, trustworthiness is the most important thing in a person's life. You can't even be honest. You can't have integrity. You can't do anything if you're not trustworthy first. And I found it fascinating because they were making the exact same argument with the exact words repeat or, or just, just switched in the exact same sentence. Mm-hmm. And it was, again, one of those great examples of environmental whatever throughout our life affects what we value most. So even if a word is synonymous with something else, that word could be something that is very important to me and what I value because that's going to connect with me deeper than something else. So for me, uh, integrity is very important. Being trustworthy is very important. Being honest is very important. Being understanding is very important. But all those words are great, but whenever I... Here in my own mind, I need to be honorable. That's what motivates me. And that's the word that I connect mm-hmm. with the most. Mm-hmm. And that's the word in my mind that, that is the synopsis of all those other words. Right. You know, if I'm being honorable, I'm going to be accepting. If I'm honorable, I'm going to be trustworthy. And the next person you the next person you have on your podcast could be making the exact same point, reversing those words, saying, Well, if I'm trustworthy, I'm going to be honorable. Well, I'm going to be Whatever. Right. So, you know, it's whatever it's whatever we connect with the most and what we stand on the most, but that's what is then going to be the foundation that leads us forward. Right. The idea of just having one word, uh, it just seems like a really useful thing. Um, I, I love planning. I love making goals, but it seems like my goals only last, um, I mean, they're old news in a few weeks, and um, I never take something to the very end. But at one point, um, it may be the same book you made reference to. Um, Why well, I didn't read the book. I just heard the podcast. And um, they were talking about just having one word to focus on. And um, I did. And I was able to take that through it out an entire year, um, wanting to, to grow in this one particular word. And it was something that I would um, pray about, think about, and be looking in my life and thinking, well, you know, what's happening, you know, as far as this one quality. Absolutely. And, um, but one thing, um, but it was more of like a different way of making a goal rather than starting with well, what are my values. So I guess, I guess ultimately it is related to my values because I desired that, you know. But. Oh my gosh, it absolutely is related to the values. So whenever, so I, I've been approached by, I don't know how many people over the years to help them setting goals it's one of the things I do in businesses, helping them put together strategies and goals and whatever. And it all comes back to what I value. Because if I know what I value and I know who I am and I know what I'm wanting to do with my life, that's what creates the foundation by which I am able to say, okay, so if this is what I'm doing and this is who I am, then what are the goals that are naturally going to come from this mm-hmm. of which I can then set in front of me to use as the stepping stones to keep building and growing and developing. And then, and then it gets into 
the the intricacies of goal setting of I want to I want to set goals that you know push me but are not un, unattainable. I want to I want to create goals that create victories but are not too easy that I are so easy that I don't feel like I've accomplished something when I do it and all those different things. But it all comes back to what do I value and who I am I from who am I from those values so that I can then set the goals that are going to be most applicable to me to help me grow, develop, and be the best version of what I've been created to be. You know, if you're wanting to help someone else to identify what they value, um, like even parents just trying to help kids or, um, you know, people you're working with, uh, are there? Is it just through conversation and questions or is there anything that's helpful? Um, sure. So, yeah, absolutely. So, in, so with our process, um, what, what we do is we have an online assessment. So it's something that people can go to a website and, and do the assessment, and it takes uh, a whopping 10 minutes, maybe 15. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it's, and it's something that people can easily do on the web. And then, uh, and then the part two is then the follow-up with the coach to meet with you and help you identify from those values. We go through the next process where we people help people identify who I am from those values and what I'm, what I'm trying to do with my life. And again, again, that takes another 10, 15 minutes. So you're talking about a 30 minute process where people can then identify, this is what I value. This is what I'm doing. This is where I'm going with this. And then after that's accomplished, then you're able to build and go from there. But the, the, just the understanding of what is it that I value the most for us, that assessment is simple, easy, quick, painless, fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, no big deal. Yeah. But tell me more about you. Um, what was um, your growing up experience like? Uh, growing up experience, I grew up on a farm in southern Missouri and uh, grew up in a household that I would say would be um, uh, hearty, wholesome, you know, salt of the earth, pillar of the community kind of household Hmm. um we had a 300 acre ranch that we uh worked uh beef cattle on about 100 head of cattle uh we also owned a business in town dad had gotten into um years before i was born dad had gotten into water well systems and so we again grew up in a little town about 50 miles south of rollo so there was about a 40 50 mile radius that that we worked water wells and water well pumps and all that kind of stuff. And hmm. um, so grew up being on call 24 hours a day because there was hog operations and poultry farms and uh, dairy farms that have to have water. There, you know, uh, several uh, cities, uh, small municipalities, parks, that kind of stuff, got to have water. So uh, at any given time being called out in the middle of the night, but um, wholesome, again, it, great you know, mom and dad were married for 45 years before dad died of a heart attack after I was uh, left the house. And uh, it was good, good, uh, you know, good household. Is the um, ranch still in your family? Uh, no. Okay. Dad died actually at the time of this recording. Um, this weekend was dad's 25th anniversary of his passing. And uh, mom died about four years ago. So farm's been sold and mm-hmm. everything's been uh distributed out because there was uh i had there was five children 
but all of us moved away and doing our own thing. And I'm the youngest. I'm 50. So everybody else is pretty much established in life and doing their thing and whatever else. So uh, farm was sold. Everything was everything is passed on to the next generations and away we go. Yeah. You know, in the article I read, I think it was in uh, Small Business Monthly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it mentioned that you were a, a minister before you um, started, you know, this life as a, a coach. Um, was that a, as a Christian minister or a different kind? Or No, Christian minister. I was a minister for um, a non-denominational Christian church uh, for 30 years. Okay. So I started right out of high school, and um, when I... Uh, uh, I guess a, about as we sit here, well, I'd say 14 years ago, maybe 13, 14, 15 years ago, um, I was uh, approached kicking and screaming to go into the coaching. It wasn't what I was looking to do at all, but I started doing that and uh, did both for about 10 years. And then I retired when I hit 30 years in the ministry and focusing entirely on the coaching. Mm-hmm. So how did so you that's get, what I do. How did you get started in the in the Christian faith? Was that did you grow up in that that's, as a yeah, child? That's, that was what we grew up in. That was okay. little country church out in the middle of nowhere. It's one of those places that you have to want to get there to get there because you're never going to just stumble onto it. It's out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, but that was that was the little church that we we went to, and um, there was about sixty seventy people going to that church whenever I was a kid, and. Uh, 40 years later, there's about 60, 70 people still going there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, one of those, uh, again, not to overuse the phrases, but it's, again, one of those, you know, salt of the earth, you know, country churches that's uh, always been there and probably always will be there. And mm-hmm. and uh, just good, good, solid folk that uh, they write stories about and, and uh, draw pictures of and, you know, whatever else of the of the just good, strong, good, strong uh, country people who love life and love their family and love their tractor and love their, <laughs> love their dog. So yeah, uh, that's, that's what they do. Do you have any uh, personal uh, spiritual practices that are, you know, important to you um, or even corporate practices, I, I suppose, but just anything that's um, in your life like that, that's regular, that, really significant uh i realized if i'm understanding your question correctly i realized um several years ago that the most important thing that we can be doing is to continually be personally growing uh not just as a father or mother not just as a husband or wife or significant other not just as a whatever but as an individual child of God. So here's life. Here's this gift of life. My responsibility is to continue to learn, grow, develop, figure stuff out, enjoy the blessings, learn from the struggles, and and continue to come back to honor God. So um, there are several things that I do on a daily basis, uh, aside from journaling and aside, you know, from that to praying Wife and I pray every day, um, you know, Bible reading. But along with that, then there are multiple other things that I'm doing: reading books, 
podcasts, seminars, different things where uh, it's a daily feeding to continue the growth, continue the learning, continue the, the understanding. Um, and what's fun is that the more I've done that, the more I realize that as, as things change from day to day, you know, there's great things and there's horrible things and there's difficult things and there's whatever. The more all that stuff happens, then it comes, you know, the more that foundation becomes even more relative, you know, and, and even more important because it's not just that what I, what I value, but it's also about, oh, yeah, the reminder I read last week about making sure you got the proper attitude. Oh, yeah, the reminder I read, you know, in the Bible as I was reading again about um, Moses and Aaron. Oh, yeah, the reminder, I, you know, all those things that are easily and quickly brought to the forefront of the mind because continuing to feed, continuing to learn, continuing to grow. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you do um, to ensure that you're, um, you know, when you're making out your schedule for the week or you're just going out throughout your day, is there anything that you do to ensure that you, you're on track with your values, your value of honor? Um, or is it just something you just try to hold in your mind, you know, and think about honor when you're just doing the various things? Um, uh, early on in, in the journey, uh, I think it was more hit and miss with trying to uh, incorporate or make sure that the decisions I was making was going to be out of honor. Uh, now I'm at uh, now I'm at a point where it just is. It's what I do. Mm-hmm. You know, it just is that natural progress. But the thing I would say to the listeners is, you know, as you're, as you're identifying what you value and then learning to, um, to line your life up with that, what, those things are the most important, uh, it's always about a process. Um, I've never, ever worked with anybody who is happy with the process. I've never worked with anybody who's happy with the speed of the process because we always want it to be faster. Uh, we always want it to be easier. We always want it to be quicker. We always want it to be whatever. Uh, and it never is. It's always slower than we want it to be. It's always more in-depth than we want it to be. And yet then you turn around and blink twice and, and stand up and sit down. And all of a sudden it's been six months or a year and a half or whatever. And you're able to sit back and, and just like the fruits of the Spirit, it's just that natural growth and progression. Oh, yeah, I'm doing things differently than what I was before. Oh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not uh, filtering that like I was. Oh, yeah, that's, I, I changed that, didn't even realize I did that. And just allowing those, those values to take hold and, and begin to uh, permeate the different areas of what I'm doing in my life. Yeah. You know, um, I mentioned earlier about how, um, you know, setting goals is so exciting, you know, for me and planning out the year and everything like that. But then the you know, they become old news really quick. I think because maybe it's because I'm trying to learn and stuff as well and something else grabs my attention and then it's, um, you know, so is, is coaching helpful in a scenario like that um, to, um, you know, to help a person just kind of carry out their plans to the end? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. The, the thing about coaching is that um, a coach, you know, there's the, old, there's the old myth of, you know, if you're going to be a coach, then you're, you're proclaiming that you've got it all figured out. And the answer is no, not at all. 
Um, but I have blind spots and you have blind spots, Will. We all have those emotional areas that we don't really understand or don't really recognize or don't really uh, fathom that it's affecting us. But the flip side of that is, is that my blind spots are not your blind spots. So the coach, the, the, the great thing about the coach is that the, the coach's presence in your life is going to give you a different perspective than what you've had before and allow you to see things from a different viewpoint that you've never had before. Hmm. So the coach may be able to point out a blind spot and say, you know, Will, um, uh, in that interview that you gave with Jeff, there were twice already where you talked about, yeah, I set goals, but, you know, I don't really stick with it or I get sidetracked or whatever. Okay. So is that about goal setting? Is that about how you need to go about setting goals differently? Or is that a blind spot of there's a fear in you that says I'm not supposed to actually accomplish the goals? Mm -hmm. Is it a fear of success? Is it a fear of failure? Is it a level of, no, you know, it's not about that at all. It's about I need to change the way I set the goals so that it holds my attention better. Mm -hmm. Could very well be. But it could be something going on on an emotional level of I'm not supposed to accomplish the things I set out to do because of whatever would have happened in my life that I'm now afraid of actually being able to do that. Hmm. Okay. So, you know, not to get all coachy on you, but, but it's one of those, it's one of those things of, okay, why, if this is something that's happening without judgment and without, um, uh, tearing it down, you want to, with your coach, be able to sit back and go, why is that happening? Mm -hmm. Right. And, and whenever I begin to understand why, then I begin to understand what's the formula to change what's happening so that I can then get things where I need them to be so I can begin to enjoy the success that I'm wanting to have. Well, when I get into that level, what I value is going to factor into those decisions and those answers and that formula for success more than ever before because now it's about this is what I'm dealing with, but this is what I value, so I want to have this line up with what I value and make the decisions, deal with the problems, learn to set the goals better so that I am accomplishing that which I have set out to do mm-hmm. and then fulfill my prophecy of this is what I value and this is what it looks like when I value these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, did I say that where it makes sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Good. Okay. One thought you know I have is I wonder if, if goals are overrated, if like maybe just kind of um, thinking what do we value, where do we want to end up, well, what kind of routine can we put in our life that will move us in that direction and just, you know, be confident that we'll... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, you use the word routine. Um, if I'm sitting in a corporate office, I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to use the word strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, another person is going to sit there and they're going to say, we need to set the goals. Mm-hmm. And I'm not so sure that all three of those words all don't mean the same thing, mm-hmm. you know, or lead to the same discussion of this is where I want to go. How do I get there? And mm-hmm. what are the things that I have to overcome to accomplish the very thing that I want to do? I remember reading uh, in Ziegler, goodness, 20 years ago, um, I followed what, what helped me the most was back before there was anything. He Ziegler used to sell these uh, these yearly planners, and his whole thing was you want to focus on 
four goals a day or four goals a week, no more than four because it becomes too overwhelming. You want to break it down. But, but along with that or more than that, long-range goals identify this is what I want to do. This is what it would look like if I accomplished it. But what are the things that I'm probably going to run into that are going to prevent me from accomplishing it that I'm going to have to overcome? Mm-hmm. And his whole point was, whenever you talk about goals, or we talk about strategies for life, or we talk about growth, it's very easy to focus on, well, this is what I want it to look like, this is what I want it to be, which is great. But he said, you know, very few people actually stop and step back and go, okay, so Will, what are the things you're going to have to overcome to accomplish that? What can you see right now that's going to be a problem? Whether it's, well, I don't have the money to do that, or, well, it's going to be really difficult with my schedule, or... Well, I got three kids under the age of five, and that's going to be, you know, energy drain and all these different things that I have to be honest with myself in my life or whatever stage of my life it is. I was saying, okay, this is something that's how I have to factor in. Mm-hmm. That can't be, it's not that it can't be overcome, but it has to be factored in of without me sitting there going, oh my gosh, I didn't see that coming at all. I, I, I can't believe that this is so hard for me to have the energy to get up and run every day with three kids under the age of five. Mm-hmm. Right, that may be a, something you missed entirely and has to, be, has to be factored in. Maybe you're not getting up at five o'clock to go running. Maybe that's something in the afternoon whenever your significant other gets back or you're not doing that at all. You're actually going and investing in a, uh, a carriage uh, stroller that you can put all three kids in and now it becomes a workout as you go in the afternoon or Whatever that looks like, but I got to mm-hmm. figure out what what's going to be the obstacle that I need to work through to mm-hmm. accomplish what I need to. Because if I ignore that, then it's going to eventually control me. Right. Yeah. Again, all about blind spots. All about uh, identifying what the blind spots are and and obstacles are, and not allowing them to have the have the uh, ability or the power to to push me where I, push me around. Right. You know, kind of taking a turn and just drawing on wisdom, um, gain in life and so forth. Um, you know, many people have something in their life that's not right, so to speak, and their life isn't how it's supposed to be in some area. And there's, um, I think for all of us, and I've just kind of been realizing this a little bit more lately, um, that there's the risk of becoming bitter through life. And being corrupted, um, I was listening to Jordan Peterson, and he talks about, um, you know, having to be careful of things, not corrupting a person. And um, I think that it's related to, like, what it says in the Bible to not be overcome by evil, but rather overcome evil with good. Evil not necessarily being, like, some kind of moral evil. It could just be some kind of circumstance that just makes life not you know, right. Um, has there been, or is there anything in your own life that's like that, that you're okay with talking about? That I personally have overcome? Yeah. Or, um, right. Something, um, that, um, you know, like, uh, some kind of, uh, disappointment in life, evil, so to speak, not necessarily moral evil that, um, You've had to, um, you know, face that challenge of not letting that make Control you into me. a hard right. and bitter person, sure. but rather overcoming that. 
So the wholesome, hearty uh, uh, Norman Rockwell um, environment that I grew up in, the, the flip side of that was that there were great expectations placed on us as children and, and failure was a very, um, it was not, not an option. Um, but it was done out of love and honor and respect and, you know, all those things that every parent wants for their child. But the flip side of that, especially being used by a mortal enemy, spiritual enemy, is that there was such, I placed such expectations on myself and placed such self-judgments on myself that hard to live up to. So one of the things that I have learned in my life is um, to, to not allow the judgments that I place on myself to, number one, be there. And if I miss them and they are there, to not allow them to control me. Uh, one of the things that I do as a coach that I, I don't know that I can say every client, but the vast majority of clients talk to me about is how non-judgmental I am. And part of that is because I'm fully aware of the effects of too much judgment and what it can do to a person. Hmm. So um, that, going back to what we originally were talking about, you know, what you value um, coming out of life circumstances. So one of the things that I value more than anything else is acceptance, which is another word in my mind for non-judgmentalness. So um, I learned to accept people where they're at and, and then start to help support, love, and grow them as they are, uh, which I believe is exactly what Jesus Christ did. You know, in the New Testament, there was only two examples of personal evangelism that Christ that we have examples of. One was a guy by the name of Nicodemus in chapter three of John, and the other one was a, a woman at the well in John chapter four. And what he did with both of them was go where they were at so that he could then teach them and begin to move them from where they were at to where he wanted them to be. And I think that most Christians miss that. Christians are known for judgment. Christians are known for attack. Christians are known for being very rigid. And I believe there's a very fine line between not... um, um, not being okay with a person's lifestyle and still learning to not judge so that people are able to be affected positively by what we know about Christ rather than feel judged because they once again, because of us, feel like they're not good enough. Right. And the not, yeah, and like you said, the not judging is not necessarily saying you're just okay with whatever, but it's acceptance. Which Absolutely. Is, right. Yeah. Absolutely. There's, there's, it's never about being okay with whatever, but it is about understanding that no one no one moves a position in their life by being told you're not enough or by being told you're wrong. Nobody moves. Hmm. Wow. Every person digs in. Every person digs their heels in. Every person starts to defend as soon as I tell you that you're wrong. Mm-hmm. And um, that really um, kind of makes the point that trying to motivate someone with guilt is like not a very good <laughs> strategy. <laughs> it backfires in our face every time. Yeah. Because the thing, the thing that I have discovered after working with uh, people in the ministry for 30 years and working in 
people on an emotional level and coaching for, like I said, 13, 14, 15 years, uh, everybody already feels guilty. I already feel guilty about something, Will. So as soon as you come along and tell me I should feel guilty for something else, I'm not going to deal with that very well. Especially if you're sitting there going, you know, you should feel guilty for the way you're living your life. Thank you, I already do. But the fact that you're sitting here telling me that I should has just shut down any opportunity for you to make a positive impact in my life. Mm-hmm. I will not listen to you. I will not grant you the time of day. I will not give you any opportunity to make a positive difference in my life because you've already told me that as far as you're concerned, I'm inferior to you. Even if that's not right. the message you wanted to send. Right. That's what I heard. And no one, uh, and people don't tend to say you ought to feel guilty, but um, there might be a tendency to point out what people are doing wrong, you know, and it, as soon as I say you shouldn't do that, I'm telling you, you should feel guilty. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, you shouldn't do that. Why would you do that? Okay. Those are questions. All I can do is defend. And you've already taken a superior, the me attitude and, and, and stance. And that's never going to work ever. Is there a, a time uh, for in, in love pointing out, you know, something to someone that, you know, they may, I don't know if they would, may not see it or they, maybe they do see it, you know, pointing out that uh, someone is um, going down the wrong path or their ways are. Absolutely. Right. I, I think Jesus Christ set that example. When Nicodemus came to Jesus in the middle of the night and were asking him, was asking him remedial questions that as a spiritual leader he should have known. And Jesus answered the questions, worked with him, but then we see him eventually saying, you know better than this. Mm-hmm. This is stuff you should know. But it wasn't right off the bat. It was that, that in that situation, Nicodemus sought him out. So Nicodemus was actually identifying that this is a man of authority over me and I want his opinion. I want to know what he thinks. And even given that open door, Christ did not jump through. He works with him a little bit, answers questions, gives him gives him honor, shows him I respect who you are, and then there's a little zinger like, Nicodemus, you know this. You should know this. What are you doing? And that was what Nicodemus needed to hear, where later on it's Nicodemus who starts fighting and, and working with uh, for the body of Christ whenever he, he's, uh, whenever he's murdered. Now, you have the, the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well, and all Jesus had to do was say, uh, you know, what you're telling me is exactly right. You're not married. Mm-hmm. In fact, yeah, you're, you're, you're pretty much uh, destroying yourself by devaluing everything about who you are in relationships with other men. Now, that's not an attack. That's an observation. Supernatural. Mm-hmm. But it's still just saying, here's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Hmm. There was no attack. There was no judgment. There was no, in fact, it was actually a compliment. And you know what? Thanks for not lying to me. You're exactly right. He's not your husband, is he? In fact, you have a pattern in bad relationships, don't you? This is probably something that's not working for you. And and what that did was change her perspective mm-hmm. and begin to recognize there's a whole much, there whole, there's so much more for me here. But it still comes back to you want to build the relationship and let people know that you, you love them for who they are and where they're at so that the relationship is built where you can say, you know, I'm not sure what you're doing is working for you. Mm-hmm. Because as I know you, 
you're saying you value this, you're saying that this is important to you, you're saying you want to accomplish this, and yet what you're doing is this, this, and this. It's undermining the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know if that's really the way you want to be going or not. Coming back to the values, you're not living consistently according to what you you're, you value. Correct. You're not. That's right. You're not. You're not in any way being uh, uh, lining yourself up with who you are based on what you value. Mm-hmm. But then the thing is, is that we all do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We all value things that we don't necessarily consistently live out. Mm-hmm. And nobody likes to be told you're wrong, and nobody likes to be told that. Um, you're inferior because that's what I hear whenever you tell me this isn't this isn't good enough. Yeah. Well, Jeff, what's essential for a meaningful life? Uh, come down to how you define meaningful. Um, if I define meaningful as um, uh, peaceful and successful. Uh, I would say that the essentials are being at peace with yourself, growing on an emotional, physical, mental, and spiritual level, and having peace with the answer to the question of what happens to me whenever I die. Okay. If I've got that, and I'm doing that, and I'm accomplishing that, and I am uh, building in those areas, I'm pretty sure I'm going to have a meaningful and successful and peaceful life. Is there anything that you wish someone would have uh, set you down, looked you straight in the eye and said to you when you were a younger version of yourself? Um, I wish that someone would have told me that I was uh, enough just as I was. Hmm. Yeah. Because um, while I know that I was loved by my parents uh, it was very difficult for me to accept that that was unconditional because most of the time I felt like it was conditional. Mm-hmm. So I think most people that we all know, most people that will hear this podcast, we view love almost always as conditional. It has to be good enough. I have to do all these right things. I have to be whatever instead of uh, your love just for who you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's what parents do to children. is what God does for us. I love you just as you are. Mm-hmm. And hmm. we have to figure out a way to to not spoil that and to accept it whenever it is given. Yeah. I will uh, put in the show notes uh, links to your your website. and um, Yeah, absolutely. Right. Uh, we talked about the core values assessment on uh, earlier in the podcast. If people want to go to the website... Uh, on the home page at the top, there's a, there's a link that says core values assessment. If they click on that, go through the assessment, uh, that assessment will come to me and I'll give them a call or shoot them an email and do part two with them. But, but, uh, they can do that assessment anytime they want to. It's designed to do over a cup of coffee in the morning or over the weekend or, you know, as you're finishing your day, it's something very easy, very simple, again, fun and enlightening. Right. Okay. Well, thanks Jeff. Really appreciate the time. Thanks for the invitation. Appreciate being here. If you use a podcast app like iTunes, please give a review of Conversations About Life.